All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. All right, baby, Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a Gunner Kennel when he goes to and fro, and in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints, and, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide the dms if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel it's force fetch baby it's the number one question we get asked you don't know how to fix it let me help you let me get you to your goals we built a course bunch of videos i think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully the link's in the description be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We've got an awesome episode coming up for you. I'm really excited for our next guest. He's been on the podcast before. He's a good buddy of ours, and I actually have one of his little puppies he's bred in my kennel now, so I know we're going to talk about him. This is Barton Ramsey from Southern Oak Kennels. Barton, welcome to the show, buddy. Man, thank you guys for having me back. I am uh, super excited to be on with you guys again and chat, and uh, yeah, I'm stoked. Cool, man. Well, as you know, we've got to do some uh, spring cleaning, if you will, or some of our chores with the sponsors, so I'm going to rip off some. Um, Thank you to Dogtra. We are big supporters and have used Dogtra for over 10 years now. I personally use the Edge RT every single day, and then I hunt with the 1900S, and most of my clients go home with the 1900S. And then every time I get a new dog in, it seems that they've got to get their barking under control. You know, it's a new new space. I give them a day or so to acclimate, and then it's, okay, there's a time to bark, and there's a time to be quiet. And in my trailer, it's time to be quiet. When other dogs are working, it's time to be quiet. Um food time it's time to be quiet and the ys 600 is what i use for their bark collar so check that out that's a cool one waypoint outdoor collective that's the crew who helps us with analytics keeps us in touch with you guys so thank you to them and barton you and i are both teammates if you will for uke and gunner kennels so i would like you to give your uke nuba and gunner kennel promo baby heck yeah Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Our dogs are healthier, in better shape 
better endurance and shinier coats than any time I can remember in the history of Southern Oak Kennels. And they're all eating Yukonuba premium performance. Our puppies are going home healthy, big stout pups with big blocky heads, eating Yukonuba, large breed puppy food. The consistency of their bags is unbelievable. Our dog's energy levels is fantastic. And uh, we couldn't be more happy with the dog food than we have been with Yukonuba. And obviously, Gunner Kennels, uh, we made a choice early on to use the best of the best when it comes to the products in our kennel and especially the way that we travel with our dogs. And Gunner Kennels has always been, and I think will always be that, man, the safest and best, most highest quality travel crate that you can purchase here in our country and made here in our country. Gunner Kennels, man, I don't know a better product to recommend for those out there who have gun dogs or who are looking at purchasing gun dogs in the gunner kettle. Very cool, man. And last but not least, Traeger Grills. Smoke them if you got them, baby. So Kevin and I, are. I shot a turkey uh, this past weekend, and we're ready to eat it. We didn't do it this weekend. We didn't have enough time. So next week, we're going to give you a little, uh, I wouldn't say tutorial, because I don't know what I'm doing uh, with smoking meat, but I'm learning. And so join me in the process of learning how to do the meat right. But we got a turkey for next week. I'm super excited about it. And thank you to Traeger for everything they do for the outdoor community and us here at Lone Duck. All right, man. That's the intro. Yeah, you guys consider me on that team, too. I am definitely, uh, definitely Team Traeger. And, uh, heck, yeah, man, tonight's the first night in in this entire week that I'm not cooking on my Traeger because I'm here talking with you guys. So I told Bethany she's in charge of supper. And I'll be back on the Traeger tomorrow night. Very cool. Yeah, we're we've really enjoyed ours. And you know what? The podcast night for Kevin and I is nice. You know, one night a week, we get some brother time, we get some meals in, a couple beers in, and we get to spend time together. And it's nice to do that around the Traeger. You know, and, and it's a food brings people together. And, and I think the Traeger is a company that feels that way and and brings a whole community together. So big cheers to them. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, man, let's get into the show. So duck season is over. Spring training is in full swing. How was your duck season? You know, it was an interesting one. Um, I like to look back and think about what, what would I have done differently if I had known how the spring was going to go? You know, if I had known how all these quarantines and shutdowns and I probably would have traveled a little bit more. But, you know, I've got three kids at home, young kids under 10 and a wife. So I try to really be picky about my hunts, where I go, when I go, all that stuff. I apologize if you guys hear shots in the background. My crew is still training and I decided to sit out here and watch the dogs run while I talk to you guys. Um, it was a it was a really solid duck season when I traveled. Uh, the best time I've had in the state of Arkansas. Um, I hunted a good bit with a client and very good friend of mine, Connor Reddick. He has a little place called Wild Wings. They don't guide. It's, it's private. It's just uh, they've got a, some Southern Oak dogs that hunt there. And Fantastic group of guys and hunted in the timber more than ever, which, man, it's, it's, it's true what people say. Like Once you do it, you're like, I don't really know why I would want to hunt dogs in a, in a different way than this. Um, and just a stellar time with those guys. Goose hunting this year was really tough. 
uh, I timed my Arkansas speckle hunting poorly at a couple really good hunts and a couple really just awful hunts, which is rare. Uh, usually Arkansas speckle season just kind of lights out. And, uh, and then my late season was super tough. I went, I went up to the Midwest where normally, I guess I was, you know, I convinced myself I was just due for a bad season when it comes to late season goose. Uh, I've had four or five stellar years in a row hunting like with the grind with the guys up, uh, up North and, and Kansas and Oklahoma. And this year it just, man, it just didn't line up. The geese were not cooperating. No matter how hard people worked at it, it was just rough. And the highlight was literally cooking on Traegers and uh, eating good dinner every night and then going out every afternoon and training dogs. So goose hunting was poor this past season. Duck hunting was fantastic, and I'll take it. You know, it was fine. Uh, It was an average year overall, I would say. Now, when uh, when you would bag a few speckle bellies, how would you cook them? Because that is some fine fine Man, meat. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah, that's a great question. It's it's a wonderful wonderful bird to eat. Um, we would typically breast them out. I, I'm a big I, I like to eat waterfowl. Um, I I like to cook it uh, on a cast iron skillet. Typically, I will take a, a breast of meat cut it into little strips uh salt and pepper on both sides olive oil and sear it on high high heat on a cast iron skillet and uh and just cook it till it's medium rare rare you know usually a little bit more rare than most people are comfortable with oh yeah and actually guys i do that most of the time for breakfast so my breakfast during the waterfowl season is usually a couple duck or speckle goose breasts and three or four eggs and maybe like a slice of avocado or something. And uh, I like eating that for breakfast. So that's typically how I cook it. I'll do the duck popper thing if we have people coming over, you know, on the Traeger yep. um, with bacon and jalapenos. And that's really good with speckle goose as well. But I haven't really found a bad way to cook speck, to be honest with you. That's, that's my favorite. If all the waterfowl species we kill, speckle goose is my favorite to eat. I've only killed one and i've been a kevin and i were in arkansas a few years ago now and we had a group you know where they let us keep them because they're like you yankees gotta try this because we don't get them up here (laughs) right so we we enjoyed them and and it's one of those things where i wish i had a freezer full of it but um i'm kind of with you the popper route it just takes too much time i like to eat and i like i'm hungry i eat you know i don't necessarily always take time to prepare it a certain way and my favorite way is how you do it as well on the cast iron just medium rare to rare and it's in and out and i'm eating it um but the poppers you i mean you gotta go to the store and get jalapeno who's got time i don't have time for that i don't have cream cheese that's when i do that i do that for people who usually don't eat like duck or goose or, or something like that and so that's when i'll be like oh yeah try this Right. And, you know, take it to a buddy's house sort of thing. But I like to just cook it like it's a steak. Like it's a nice deer yeah, steak. and just a lot of work, honestly. Yeah, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I don't want to make time for that, I guess. I cook, I cook it like it's a steak for my kids a lot. You know, just sear it, sear it, and feed it to them rare. I'm big on raising kids that are not picky eaters. I want my kids to be, you know, I don't know. I, 
I know a lot of people that are picky eaters, and that's fine. But it's like, really, you don't want to eat that? Like, it's really good. You should eat it. Yeah. And uh, I respect that. So my kids learned two years ago to really love duck and goose meat, and they will crush it. And uh, that's been that's been big for me is being able to sear it for them, serve it to them rare, teach them to appreciate it. You know, I took my son on our goose trip this year. He went on two just absolute bangers. I mean, <laughs> twelve man limits of Stuckabelly geese. Oh man! And, you know, it was it was yeah. He's and he also went on three like, are we gonna kill anything, Dad? You know, why did we come out here? <laughs> you know, sort of. You know, he, he got to experience both. Yeah. But we cooked it all up, and he got to eat it. And here's why we went and shot these. You know, yeah. we got to see the dogs work. We got to have some camaraderie. Got to participate in buying licenses and conservation, and at the end of the day, here we are grilling this stuff up. And how good is it? You know, oh, it's so good, Dad. And that's that's what it's all about. Like, absolutely. I'm like, hey, look, we could go buy steak at the supermarket, but we can figure out a way to cook this. It's honestly just as good. And uh, he's like, yeah, this is just as good as a steak. Wish we should go get some more. That's in so fact, cool. yesterday he saw a pair of geese in our, in our pond, and uh, they've got a nest in our training pond, so we're kind of not using that one right now. And uh, he doesn't understand seasons yet. He's <laughs> he was like, just, just, just give me your, give me your shotgun, Dad. I, I promise, they're just sitting there. They don't even fly away. You know, I can kill them, and we could have them for supper tonight. And I was like, yeah, we're not going to do that. But uh, are the neighbors you know, out? Still there in September. Yeah, yeah. Who's watching? That's nah, funny. He's, uh, but he's all in on it. For That's sure. so cool, though, especially it being kind of start to finish, make it a whole day, and then you know, cap it off with, and here's what we do with it. That's pretty cool. Do you? So that's I'm assuming yeah, man, your, your I want oldest my kids kid. To understand that. Yeah. So my oldest kid is nine, and mm-hmm. she is the one who loves hunting the most because she loves the dog work. So cool. So she's training. She uh, her dog is one of one of the SOK brood bitches. One of the things we do differently than a lot of a lot of kennels is we train all of our brood bitches. We don't, you know, obviously we produce puppies. That's that's one of the things about Southern Oak, we don't try to hide from that. We're not a puppy mill. You know, our puppies are produced in houses. They're raised with a family, but our bitches are trained and that's a, a separator for us. We want to, we want to breed gun dogs to produce gun dogs. I don't know how you could breed just dogs who sit around in a kennel and don't know how to work and expect that you're going to produce quality gun dogs from that. So, one of our bitches is named Scarlett, and she's from Austria. She's very well-bred, fantastic female, and she's my daughter's dog. Uh, she's a softer dog. She's actually, <laughs> if I'm being honest, she's one of those real, like, conniving bitches. You know, she's like, I, if I can get away with it, I'm going to get away with it, you know. And so it's been really fun the last two years teaching my daughter how to handle that dog. Um and so she's super into it. She's nine years old. She wants to hunt, but she wants to take her dog. She wants to be the one that handles the dogs. She wants the dogs to bring the birds to her. She takes the delivery. She lines them back up, tells them back. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's eating up with it. This year was the first year I was able to take my son. Uh, he just turned seven, so he was six. And, you know, it's one of those deals where you just want to make sure that the conditions are really comfortable and the hunt's going to be good, hopefully, and they learn to kind of love being out there sort of thing. Yeah. Um, my youngest one is five, and or, uh, yeah, she's five now, just turned five. 
and she's the pistol. She's the one that I would really worry about probably outrunning the dogs to get the bird. Uh, she, or just cool. helping her to be quiet. You know, we'll, we'll see how she likes it. I don't know if being, being still and being quiet will be uh, of any interest to her, but we'll see. Well, I think for me personally, whether they're a child or an adult, when you can get somebody into our sport via the dog – so whether it's upland bird dogs or flushing breeds or waterfowl hunting, the people all, almost everybody likes a dog. And I don't, you know, if you don't like a dog, you can pound some salt. But everybody likes a dog or grew up with a dog, and they relate to the relationship with the dog. And so even if it's a slow hunt, they get to see the dog work or they get to pet the dog while it's slow or – Whatever the case may be, the dogs make the hunt for the newbies. And I think, especially for children, the dog work is fun and it's exciting. You know, say their name and and you get the kid to say the name and you just kind of whisper it to the dog when their, you know, dog hasn't really worked for them yet. And, you know, and the dog goes and they think they did every piece of it. And I don't know, it, that's a great gateway for young people. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, the, the first season that I took my daughter, I told her that she could uh, that she could work the dogs, and um, we had a hunt in the snow in Arkansas, which is really rare. I know you guys get some snow, but we don't. You know, it's Barton, We're getting some snow, snow right Barton. now. Snow. Yeah, it's really mind blowing to me. If it snows <laughs> here. Like, if it snows a quarter of an inch, school is canceled. Like, it, it is a, an absolute event. Um, and we hunted in the snow. We killed, like, nine snow geese and three specks. And she was pumped, you know. She got to send the dog a few times and kept her warm. And uh, the next day, it was pouring down rain. I think we killed 12 speckled geese. And she was like, oh, it's all right, Dad. And I'm like, man, I brought my daughter here thinking it's going to be great. Well, the third day, we had a bit of an anomaly, and we this is three seasons ago. We set up for specs in this you know, winter wheat field uh, north of Carlisle, Arkansas. And I don't know what happened, but every snow geese in the county, snow goose in the county, decided that was the field to be in. And uh, we ended up killing 226 snow geese. Holy crap. Uh, and that's with that's with plugged guns. That's three shots per person. We had 12 people. Uh, no, we had 15 people. I don't know. It was nuts. We had, we had a lot of guns. And, I mean, it's the first time in my life I'm thinking, hey, can't we only kill, like, 25 each? Right, right, <laughs> it's right. regular season. What, what do we do here? It was insane. Uh, my daughter thought it was the coolest thing ever. We would work a dog for about 30 minutes, and then she and I would run to the trailer, put that dog up, and get another dog, and give each dog like 30 retrieves, and then swap them. And uh, she ended up getting a band out of the deal, and it was insane. But yeah, it was uh, one of those deals where watching dogs just go and go and go, and I think from that moment on, she's you know she's hooked. That's she's, cool. You know, even yesterday, when my son was wanting to kill the geese, she was like, "You got to wait till duck season." Duck season starts around Thanksgiving, and that's when we go with Dad. <laughs> yeah, she's she knows all the deal, and uh, it's ready to rock. Good for you, man. Well, it's definitely raising them right. 
definitely raising them right. Um, what before? So we're gonna do a shot for shot here soon, where we're gonna go live together and answer questions. But my last question, because I don't know how it'll wrap up, and I don't want to miss it. Twenty twenty. It's been a weird year. The old damn COVIDs. What's going to go on new that maybe you can discuss with Southern Oak? What are some goals and things people can look out for with Southern Oak? You know, we've, we've, uh, we've been online per se, you know, our, our application process is online. A lot of people find us on social media. Um, but you know, one of the things we're trying to figure out is how are we going to get puppies home? You know, people, people can't, they can't travel. A lot of people, we have people who are in like, Hey, if you leave the state because of your profession, you have to take a two week quarantine. We can't ask people to do that. Um, you know, airlines are not shipping dogs right now. So that's been a tough one for us is figuring out how in the world are we going to get these dogs home? Uh, get puppies home. Um, one thing I think that we've gotten a lot better at is taking videos for our clients. You know, uh, we have a lot of client dogs that are in for training, and those guys are wanting to see. Um, they're wanting to see their pups. They're wanting to see training. They're wanting to see progression, but they can't come visit. You know, so we're having to figure out ways to send them videos and show them what we're doing and all that stuff. On the flip side of that, you've got Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy that has been, this has been our best three months ever, you know, because people are stuck at home and we're like, Hey, you stuck at home. Want to train your dog? Let us show you how sort of thing. Sure. And, uh, that's, that's been great. So figuring out, you know, I think a lot of businesses are trying to figure, I think the word that's been kind of tossed around is, is pivot. You know, businesses are trying to figure out how to pivot so that they can be effective in a mostly online. I mean, we're on a Zoom call right now. You know, Zoom for the first three weeks of COVID shut down constantly because, you know, people were all over it. They couldn't, you know, it was being used more than ever before. And uh, figuring out how to run an effective business in this time is, it's, man, it's, it's really been strange. It's been good for Cornerstone tough in some ways for Southern Oak Kennels, just trying to figure out ways to keep our clients happy. Uh, I mean, we're even doing things like it, if we have a litter going home, we're figuring out where is everyone located? Who is located in an area that's somewhat near someone else? I mean, so for instance, we have two active military guys. They can only travel 250 miles. Um, so we're trying to figure out who's going anywhere near them with a puppy that can deliver their puppy for them, you know, things like that. So it's definitely opened up communication and figuring out where people are. And man, it's just, it's just different. That's for sure. Very different. Yeah. We had a run in with that. We bred my, well, I keep, I want to say my dog. Uh, she's not my dog. It's my client dog, but I've, I've had her forever. Uh, Chesapeake. And we sold a puppy to British Columbia other side of the continent and, you know, different country. And we ran into a lot of issues. And it's the first time I've sold a puppy to Canada. And so there were, you know, if it had, if it wasn't you COVID. You picked a bad time to start that. Exactly. If it wasn't <laughs> COVID, I think we would have had our ducks in a row and been okay. But 
He couldn't yep. fly into the States. We couldn't travel across the border. My buddy Jack, who owns Ember, got fined a bunch. And no way. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, to a tune of 500. Jeez, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, how do you even deal with that? I mean, how do you deal with that? That's just a whole, golly, yeah. yeah. So we had four Canada clients decide to just wait until 2021. They just moved their deposits a year out. Right. Um, because it was so difficult dealing with getting pups home. No, uh, it, it was a we had one litter going home right at the shutdown. So people were like, we're traveling, but we don't know if we're going to be allowed to go back. You know, it was, uh, it's definitely strange and, uh, we'll see how long it lasts and how long it impacts what we all do. I know. I, I'm hopeful that by the end of summer, everything will be back to normal. I don't know if that'll happen, but I think, you know, into June, it'll ease up into July. It'll ease up even more. By the end of August, I'm hoping our lives are pretty much back to normal. And I don't know if that's wishful thinking. But I really hope so. Plus, it's I don't know. I hope then, so. so let's but go. at the end of the day, yeah, I told Bethany um, two weeks ago, I said, you know, this stuff really sucks. It's not fun. We know people who have been sick. We know people who have lost their jobs, who have been furloughed. We've got business owner friends who are just struggling to pay bills. So at the end of the day, being a dog trainer is, is, has not been super bad. I mean, I've got two guys out in the field working their dogs right now while I sit here. You know, we're social distancing. We're never more than six feet, you know, never closer than six feet. And we're working our dogs and we're going about business as usual in some ways. So in a lot of ways, our profession has been very fortunate. You know, we're out in the field. We're not, you know, dependent on these sorts of things. But uh, there are a lot of people out there that are they're definitely struggling and uh i hope i hope you're right man i hope by the end of the summer we can get back to whatever the new normal is yeah we can get back to that absolutely absolutely so before, again before we do the shot for shot my i guess my last question or discussion is uh, the southern oak pup roscoe that i've got in training i wanted to give you an update via the podcast on roscoe so maybe you can tell if you remember correctly, he was he was a Ducks Unlimited dog in Charleston or Correct. Charlotte. Was it Charleston or Charlotte? Charlotte. Yep. Charlotte. And he's Yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina at their D U banquet held at Quail Hollow. Gotcha. Which is one of only two places that we do that. Um, because those places allow us to be extremely picky about who takes the dog home. Right. So after the auction is over, we get to do like a full interview process and make sure we're comfortable with it and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. So the people who bought Roscoe are clients of mine. And I got a picture that night of the two of them hugging this puppy. And they're like, do you know Barton? And, you know, when you're at a DU banquet, <laughs> you aren't you're having a few cocktails. You know, you're bedding, yeah. you're eating good food, you're having fun. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know him. They're like, we just won this puppy. I'm like, hell, yeah, good for you. <laughs> you know, that's sweet. <laughs> and they're like, plan a, plan a spot for him in training. I'm like, even sweeter. Heck, yeah, baby. So, yeah, he's out of red. And do you remember who his mother is? I know oh, it it's tough to remember. Ago. It's an import. 
Hell, maybe Claire. I have to look it up. I can't remember. Those pups were really nice, uh, yeah. but I can't remember which which one it was. Either anyway, way, keep, his, keep his... going. I remember them winning the pup, and I remember having a conversation with them, saying, "Hey, do you want to send your pup back for training?" And they're like, "Well, we're really good friends with Bob Owens." And I was like, "Say no more. That's great. <laughs> like, that's cool. I know the guy. I've done the podcast, and I always, you know." Everyone, you know, everyone trains differently. But as a breeder, it's really fun to have another pro trainer who does things differently than you do have one of your dogs and say, well, how did that go with you? You know, how was it? So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was I was super interested that they were they were sending their pup to you and glad they followed through with it. Yeah. So the night before Roscoe comes and I might have told you, so so bear with me, but I'll tell the the listeners the night before Roscoe comes, um, they send me a picture of Roscoe on top of the counter and not like he put his two front paws on like he was on the (laughs) island you know four and a half foot up staring at her and she's like we're ready for you or or like are you ready I'm like damn oh yeah oh Oh, Roscoe here we go baby so he gets here um he's very handsome uh, fox red male. His father is red, and your stud dog, and he's very handsome. I, I mean, I'm gonna guess he was six, seven months old. You know, he, he right at that age when they come. And we start with obedience because he didn't have any. <laughs> and I hope they listen because this is all in jest. I, I love him to death. Um, but he really he didn't know much. He knew his name. He knew some very basic commands and. He didn't really like to retrieve until I threw that sucker a live pigeon. And oh boy, s- dude! Since then, the it was like the light bulb went off. Like, why are you throwing me this plastic thing? Like, I- I've got you know girls to go sniff and all the world to to check out. And he just wasn't into the fun bumper. He hadn't learned yet, right? He didn't get the puppy sure. retrieves down the hallway. He didn't get some of the things sure. that we encourage people to do from eight weeks to six months, he just was a house dog and played with the other dog and, you know, loved by kids. On the and, right. Counter surf, <laughs> whatever. So yeah. he didn't really know what retrieving was. So I'm like, dang, okay, what do I, what, what, what am I going to do? And we get, I'm sure you get this question. I get this question all the time. How do I build retrieve drive? How do my puppy doesn't really like the bumper, yeah. blah, 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 blah. My number one is, like, figure out a way to get you a live pigeon. So I yep. pu- pulled the live pigeon out. I plucked, you know, one side of the feathers, the flight feathers, so it can't fly very far. And that light bulb was so quick to flip on. It was insane. And you could just see this dog instincts completely kick in, man. He was balls to the wall. I like it. Yeah. Oh, he. I'm... I don't mean to yeah, brown nose sometimes, you. Sometimes you have to get in there and wake that stuff up. You know, let them know they have it. They don't yeah, know. Hundred percent. No, not a. No dog comes out of the box. You know, w- knowing everything. We have to teach and show and and develop and pull it out and and then form it. Yeah. And and as soon as he figured out this live pigeon, which took uh, five seconds, it was all over. Swimming like a champ. You know. Great, great water attitude, great retrieve drive. He's been very intelligent. Um, 
like you don't have to show him or ask him a million times, right? He just you show it to him. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you make a correction. You show it to him again, and it, he's got it. So he's been relatively easy to train. He's got a lot of retrieve drive. He's he's a good little dog, man. He's been here not that long. Not that long. I want to say we're going. Yeah, he hasn't been there super long. Yeah, when, when was it that he showed up? I think it was, let's say, when did I go to Georgia? March 1st. So he maybe came two or three days before March 1st. So I had him all of March, yeah. all of April. We're two and a half months in. He's 90% steady, which nice. that that is one of his, like, he, he's got a ton of drive. And so we're, I want that. I want to yeah, build good. drive. Yeah. Um, but now we're starting to teach him to harness it. Um, he's good on, yep. uh, collar conditioning. You know, a lot of, you know, we can do this maybe in shot for shot, but like a lot of the British method is no e-collars, you know, dogs tend to be soft. There's a lot of generalizations made and I would say Roscoe sure. airs on the softer side, but, but maybe softer on the physical versus the collar. He's he handles the collar just fine, probably on the average dog level. You know, on my edge RT, yeah. I want to say he's like a two to a three. Um, so that's very average. Right. Um, force fetch has been no, very I, easy. I, that, that's the kind of stuff. That, that's the kind of stuff that's good for me to hear. Like, yeah. hey, do you train this different way than we do? How the how the dogs doing? Because I think. The misconception is that they can't handle it, and I think if you were to put British dogs into a like a cookie cutter American program, then no, they probably couldn't. Um, but if you are willing to take the time, teach them properly, and then put a collar on them, I think most of the time they can. Uh, I think it would be the same if you took American bred dogs and put them in a very British style training program. You know, if you just expected them to behave like UK dogs, they're not going to do so well. Um, but um, so that that may be where I would err on a different approach. Like I I didn't look at him as a British. I looked him at him as a dog. And if I teach and show and develop and oh, got, and then overlay yep. with the collar, right now I he understands what I'm asking of him and bingo bingo. And every dog, whether it's American, yep. British, you know, or a short hair or a labradoodle, you have to train the dog not the dog conform to your system. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Train the dog in front of you. I don't know how many times I've, I've heard that quote attributed to many different pro trainers, but train the dog that's in front of you. Figure out what makes them tick, and and uh, don't expect them to behave like every other dog you've ever trained, and you can go a long ways with that approach for sure. Absolutely. But I would but say – That's awesome to hear about that pup, about Roscoe. I'm, that, I'm yeah. stoked to hear it. Yeah. To hear that he's, he's a very he's quick that learner. Way and responding that way and – yeah. yeah, good. Yeah, force fetch was was easy. I mean, we're almost done with it. Um, I, it's been easy, man. He's he's a good dog, so I want to give you kudos. I want to give Red some kudos, and whoever his mother is, you know, that was a very intelligent. Like they, or at least the one I got right. Like maybe. A, there's always yeah. got to be one in there, right? There's always a stellar stud and a, sure. and then the dud. But no, this dog is very sure. is a very good dog. So kudos to you, buddy. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Tell me, like, very briefly, 
uh, I know it's your podcast, and I don't need to be the one asking questions, but what does your force fetch regimen look like? Uh, just step by step. You don't have to walk through the whole thing, you know, in extreme detail, but are you a, a toe hitch, ear pinch, on the collar kind of guy? Do you just start with the collar? What does that look like for you? So, Roscoe, well, now I hope his owners aren't listening. Uh, Roscoe is my pet project. So, yeah. I ha- have been, and if you listen, you know, to episodes like maybe 10, 10 or 12 episodes ago, we did a two-part series on force fetch. And in my entire career, I've ear pinched. And yep. this past winter, I had four dogs in training that weren't easy. They they weren't handling the ear pinch pressure well. They weren't grasping. Mm-hmm. I was having to ear pinch harder than you should, and it wasn't fun for them or me, and we weren't progressing. We had hit a standstill. Right. So I visited a friend of mine, and I'm watching this young golden retriever on his force fetch table, and he's doing toe hitch, and the dog's picking the bumper up off of the table. And I go, how many? How long has he, yep. he been doing this? He goes, uh, I think this is into his second week. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, that's that's fast. Wow. You know, to, to go from yeah. hold to pressure, turning on and off pressure and comprehending and having a good attitude and all these things to picking it up off the ground was taking me longer. And he's like, oh, yeah, dude, you got to learn this. And I'd seen it done before. And I, I just, I wasn't comfortable with it. It's one of those things where you know what you know and you're good at what you're good at. And so to change it, you're kind of nervous, right? Change is difficult. So I watched him do it. I watched him do another dog. I watched him do another dog. And I took my four out and I did them on toe hitch. And I, I gained ground in one session. Things that were, if I were pinching their ear, they'd hang up. They were grasping with the toe hitch. I'm like, damn, all right. Let's try this. So Roscoe from day one has only been toe hitched, and now we've overlaid collar. So um, nice. we did hold first where he would hang on to it, no pressure, just loving on him and hanging on to the paint roller or bumper or whatever. And then we did toe hitch on the table and toe hitch all the way until he would pick it up off of the table with the toe hitch. And then we overlaid the collar on low-level continuous stimulation with the toe hitch. So he's getting toe hitched and continuous like medium one or high one. So very low. And you overlay, overlay, overlay. And then he might still have the rope around his wrist, but you're not pulling on it. And he's just turning the pressure off via the collar. And now we're on the ground on walking fetch with just a collar. So I like it. Truthfully, that's, cool. that's good to know. Yeah, we don't we don't hear about a ton of our dogs going through processes like that. So it's always it's always good to know that they can. Uh, you know, it's it's encouraging. You know, not we, we train differently, obviously, and that's all good. But I'm I'm always encouraged to know that our dogs can make it through and and handle and excel in something that's different than what we do. So that's always uh, I like to hear it. Well, I can tell you right now, Roscoe's excelling. So, I, I'm I'm very proud of him, and I'm very proud of, you know, man. I, like I just think that there's a lot of generalizations on 
sure. the, the differences. And I think if you just look at yeah. it like a dog, you could probably tow hitch a pit bull. I don't know how it would go, yep. but I'm sure you could. Yeah. And I look at it like Roscoe's yeah. a good, intelligent, likes to do the work and please me dog. And and I'm I'm very thrilled with, with the progress. So, anyways, let's get yeah, into shot get for shot. If you're caught up in those generalizations, it can be uh... – it can be a problem. You can you can miss the forest of the trees for sure. I mean, I've had some American dogs here. The last American dog I trained was from, I guess, Candlewood's the name. I'm not super yep. familiar, but that's where the guy bought the dog from. And the dog was, like, super calm. And, like, all the things that most people characterize American, you know, they're hyper and they're too much drive and blah, blah, blah. This dog was none of that. You know, it was, yeah. If you get caught up in those generalizations, you make your mind up before everything even starts and, well, I've got, problems, I've got American know, but, labs that are way softer than Roscoe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it's just yeah. it's the dog. Yeah. It's not not anything else. But, but yeah. Train, train the dog in front of you. That's that's the bottom line. Absolutely. All right, dude. shot for shot. How are we going to do this thing? All right, baby. We are on Instagram Live, the first ever dueling, dual Instagram Lives, Barton and Southern Oak with the Lone D Gundog Chronicles. All right. Shot for shot, baby. Do we have any questions yet? Kevin's scrolling, scrolling. No questions yet. You all are terrible. You are all terrible. A lot of people have joined, but they need to ask. All right. So get meanwhile, to- meanwhile, my my trainers have released all my dogs. So it's a free for all. The typical SOK Go Play has been initiated. So I right. got a question. We have a question? Yeah. Somebody said you're their hero, Bob. How do you do it? Oh, how do I do it? Coffee, bush light, patience, uh, and hard work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So uh, let's let's ask you a question, Barton. Talk to us about the setup you guys did today. You know, you're currently breaking down your setup. Guys are Aaron Dogs. What was it like? What were you working on while well, questions on Instagram roll in? Work. Yeah, we're working on three singles today. Um, two land singles, both involving heavier cover than we're used to because the cover's grown up. You can see a little bit of it behind me. Um, and then one working on crossing through a little cove, through a bunch of decoys, uh, and the dummy landing up on the bank on the other side where it's not a splash or anything. It really kind of you don't really see, you see it fall through the air and you don't really see where it lands. Um, so three marks and then the blinds were uh, with a crosswind today, uh, crossing through some. This is what I got going on right here. This is Cedar. My trainer is calling Cedar. Cedar has decided she wants to hang out with me right now. So I'll go, go on, go to the kennel. Um, so yeah, fairly simple. We had Corey coming over today, and uh, when Corey comes over. Uh, we want to set up something. He's got some young dogs in training right now. And so something that they can excel at when we run it as singles and something, if we want to run big dogs on a triple, we can do that. So that's sort of the goal. Um, nothing too difficult. And now that it's gotten hot, we're running everything as singles, to be honest. And, and we prefer training as singles anyway. You know, we probably run 80% singles in our training regimen and 20% multiples, whether it's a double with a single or a, a triple, um, but usually three marks and two or three blinds and then some sort of drill that we run. So, yeah, taking advantage of the weather. 
you guys have snow. We have 68 degrees in May. So we're just training as much as possible. Good for you. I would double down on that. Most of what we do is singles, teaching concepts, and then twice a week we'll do multiples um, depending on the dog. So Kevin's got a question coming in from Instagram. I'm going to hand him the microphone, and we'll get – oh, I hear the dog breathing in your ear. This is this is live, baby. Yeah, it's real live I'm into right it. now. Yeah. It's good. Uh, we had a good one. Uh, how do you feel about hunting saltwater with your dog, and what are some safety tips that you have? Uh, Barton, I don't mean to be rude, but I, we got a good story from Bob on Memphis and some of her first experiences hunting in some saltwater. So, Bob, maybe we can – retell that one hey take it off i'm a long way from salt water so <laughs> go for it all right so co-friend of ours matt peel goose creek sicka outfitters gun dogs kennels he's got a long name like lone duck um matt peel invited kevin and i to come see duck hunting and we took all my dogs and we trained together with matt after we duck hunted and so memphis his dog boomer matt and couple other guys we're all hunting together and memphis will take a swig of water and you know we're setting decoys or whatever she's running around doing her thing and we're getting set up and he's like you know she's not really used to it probably shouldn't drink water it's salt water i'm like nah it's just a little bit and he's like okay <laughs> all right she drinks a little more she drinks a little more we bang on some ducks she drinking more when she's bringing ducks back i'm sure you know it just kind of goes down their gullet well, that night, diarrhea, explosion, like you've never seen it before. And so the the salt water just went right through her, and it was it was terrible. And so even the next day, we're hunting, and I, I still hunted her. I mean, I gave her fresh water, um, and she was okay, but it was painful looking. So what I would err on the side of is dogs that live near the ocean and, and hunt in that scenario, like Matt's dogs, they get little bits of salt water throughout their whole life, and their body probably builds a little bit of an immunity. Now, if they drink a gallon of it because they're parched, I'm sure they would get sick from it too, but they probably build a little immunity. My dog, who'd never had it before, had a little bit of it, and it went right through her. So the rest of the time we were with Matt... I would give her as much water as she would take and I would fill her food up and float her food with water. So she was ultra hydrated and didn't have that desire to drink salt water while we were out hunting. Um, And then when we hunted Florida this last season, I did the same thing and we had no diarrhea, no issues. I just made sure she was hydrated. So food for thought, diarrhea was so bad it was disgusting. You ever you ever run into that on Never. your hunts? No. Oh, you're a lucky man then. I mean, we're we're so far away from salt water, and I talked to Matt. Uh, we had a fun conversation about like would any of my dogs launch off the boat like his dogs, and I was like, oh yeah, for sure, and you know they probably wouldn't. His dogs are are born bred and you know lobster fed for that stuff up there. Yeah, uh, but. I haven't, we haven't been around it enough. Uh, I mean, we're in Mississippi. We hunt Mississippi, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, maybe North Dakota and Texas for teal season. So we're just not around it like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's good to know. Definitely hydrate your dogs as much as possible before they enter the ocean. And, 
doesn't sound fun. Uh, Look, I've been hit by a wave pretty hard before and taken a couple swallows of salt water, and I felt pretty sick. So. It's not good. It's I not good. Definitely uh, don't recommend hit. it. Not a doctor yeah. here at the Lone D, but highly no. would suggest not doing that. Uh, had another yeah. really good one. Barton, we'll send this one your way. Uh, favorite marking drills you had mentioned doing. You guys mostly do singles. What are some marking drills that you do with your dogs? Yeah, I. if you're going to ask me my favorite, uh, I would say inline marks. And reason being is that is what I think challenges my dogs the most. Um, I love throwing mom and pop. I love, I love throwing marking drills in general, just whatever it is, whether it's you know some cheaty singles out here on our pond, whatever. I like throwing marks for my dogs. Um, but, man, specifically inline marks, even red, you know, that's the one thing we found that will blow his mind is an inline double where the memory bird is 60, 70 yards past the go bird, just straight in line. And, uh, you know, if I'm honest, those types of marks is some, those are something you see a lot when duck hunting. I mean, how many times do you have five, six birds fall right here, right here, right here, and then that seventh bird is 50 yards right past that? And you got a dog that just it just gets stuck. You know, like, hey, you got to get out of your mind that it's right here. Mark the bird. Go find it. So I really like running in lines, even if it's check downs. You've got a dog that just loves to blow past stuff, throw them a 120-yard mark, and then throw a 60-yard mark on the same line and watch her just you know, go past it. So at least for this year, 2020, Wally and I, we got the Thunder launchers out, the Versa launchers out, wingers out, every way we knew how. And we threw an incredible amount of inline marks, water, land, everything. And uh, we just sat back and laughed. We're like, hey, we're not going to get frustrated. We're just going to see how the dogs handle this, and we're going to try to teach them. You know? And then you, the good thing, inline marks, you have to decide, am I going to handle you know, am I going to stop a dog and handle on this mark? Am I going to stop a dog, recall, and resend on this mark? Am I going to stop a dog, recall, and shoot it again? And there's a lot of decisions to be made when it comes to inline marks. And knowing your dog, knowing what gets them ticking, what gets them going, how do they learn, all that. Yeah. So as a trainer, I would say inline marks are my, are my favorite marking drill. That's cool, man. So I love that. When I was down in Georgia this winter – training with my buddy Blaine that is one thing that we both hammered on as well was running through old falls whether we set up blinds that were past the old fall so our blind was running through the old fall or the long bird was through the old fall that is a concept that we we touched on almost every day in one of our setups um for sure super good good concept and and I know that this is hard for most people, and it's hard for me without a bird boy, but if you can have a guy, a hunting buddy, a, a fellow dog training compadre out there with you, if they can be the long bird, like maybe you've got one versa launcher or one winger or what have you, and you can have that other helper out in the field, I like to have that guy get that dog just like a little hup, hey hup, you know, just get them. If they're going to yep. hang up, get them to drive yep. through, especially for a young dog. Um, you or if you just what got do the you winter. guys what do you guys call that? You guys call that uh, fire drilling a dog? That's the the term I've always heard. Just 
hey, the, the dog's not pulling through the old fall, and you got a guy out that's at the, the longer mark, and they just, hey, 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 and give them another, another throw while they're out hunting. So if it's a real young dog, I'll throw them another bird, or excuse me, throw them another bumper or another bird um, to get them to drive back. If it's if it's an older dog or like a, a transition dog, a, a, not a baby, and really, I wouldn't even throw these for a puppy, right? And I, I'm de- deeming a puppy under nine, ten months a year. You know, I, I'm talking about your right. year-old right. plus dogs that are hammering setups. Um, I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would throw them a bird. I'd probably see what they do with the bird boys' verbal help first. If they continue yep. to hunt that fall yep. area. I might have like I'll I always have my bird boy have another bumper in their hand. So if I'm on the radio, yeah. I'm like, give him a hey hey, give him a hey hey. It's not working. Give him a hey hey. Yeah. He spins around. All right, throw it. Boom. So you, you are ready for that situation. But sometimes if you do yeah. that too much, then the dog's gonna rely on that bird boy and look to the bird boy to be like, All right, bro, I know you're gonna throw me another one. So you gotta play that game carefully. Yeah. But it's definitely a nice thing yep. in our pocket. All right, Kevin's got another question. Yeah, this is a great segue. So, uh, you know, I won't take won't take credit for it, but Josiah, uh, what do you do with a dog who sees multiple marks but seems to forget where they were after they retrieve? So, like, how do we teach them to sit and learn and have some memory? Barton, how do you if, mm. while I'm handing the mic back? Like, what what do you do to increase memory? Simplify and simplify. So, you know, in that situation, if you've got a dog who I, I call it, they just can't count, you know, you got a dog that's like one, one memory mark erases or one go bird erases a memory mark for a dog. Then I'm going to simplify to the point where I'm running thunder launcher marks with big white dummies on soccer field grass. Like, Hey, look, it's right there. There it is. So when you come back and heal and you look, you see it. Hey, there it is, buddy. And we're teaching you, hey, there's something else. Remember, there's something else. And we're going to simplify, simplify, simplify until they understand the concept of multiples. And not all dogs can count. You have some dogs who are really good at doubles, and when you throw a triple, they just forget. You have some dogs who are beyond a triple, they can't run a quad. And so simplifying it is your best bet, I think. Teaching it on short grass big white dummies for marks something they can see so they understand the concept and it's tough too because you guys would be the same as me we just don't recommend doing multiples very often you know it's 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 better to teach marking with singles so when you decide to do the multiples make it as simple as possible it may even be as simple as running your memory bird as a big splash white mark in in the water and having your go bird be on land teach them to go get that go bird and turn around. There's this big white dummy out in the water. Obviously you can see it. It's splashed. You remembered it. Absolutely. You know, try to simplify as much as possible until, until they learn the concept of when I come back to heel and he's facing that way. Oh yeah. There's another bird out there. That's what we do. So Kevin mouth to me, if you agree with him, let's just move on. So I agree. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I know. So I do agree. Yeah. I think one another little tidbit, and this is this is something where you're going to need a helper, right? So 
most people are going to have either a winger or a thunder or a versa launcher and a duck hunting right. buddy or a wife or a girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever, you know, whoever's training. If you can have, I'll do this at times. I don't overdo it. Everything about dog training is balanced and figuring things out. If you overdo this tip, it's not going to be great. But I'll throw that long bird, the memory bird, first. So Kevin's my bird boy. Yeah. Kevin throws the bumper or duck out into the field. And like Barton said, it's not going to be in thick cover. It's not going to be super challenging. It's going to be very self-explanatory. Boom. And Kevin's still out there. He is visible. And so Kevin throws it. I send my dog. They come back to me. I take it. Kevin throws that bird again. And then at the simplest form, I'll pitch a bumper from my side. Send the dog to the one I just hand through. Come back. Send it to Kevin. So now if it gets confused. Yeah, it's a great way to teach that. Yep. So if the dog comes back and, and even on a simple thing like that is just mind blown, Kevin's out there and I can yell to him like, all right, give him a hey, hey, and fake throw. So he's just going to go, hey, 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 and throw his arm out there in the direction he threw the bumper. If the dog cues in and gets excited, say their name. If they're like, what the heck, I didn't see anything. All right, Kev, throw him a bumper. And so you're just teaching, you know, and after four or five of those sessions, they're going to start to come back and look back out and start to build memory. Another drill that I got from, you know, the, the British guys is – throw him a bumper, turn around, and heal that dog away. I don't know what they call that. You're yeah, gonna have to help we, me call those, we call those memories. Yeah, we call them memories. Lining memories or circle memories, either way. Sure. Big part of our training regimen. So when you're teaching a younger dog how to build that memory, instead of just going when their name or when they see it fall, they see the bird fall, hear, heal, walk away, and, and start building longer times where they've got to do other tasks turn them around, send them. And that's going to help develop a little bit of memory as well. And then you advance as you go. So now Kevin, my bird boy, is going to throw the first bird. I hand pitch the second and go get my hand pitch, go get Kevin's instead of throwing it first. Does that make sense? And then I'm going to have a winger over here and Kevin out there and have Kevin ready to help the dog. So that's how I would develop the, the crawl, walk, run. But that's that. And I also would err on the side of, just to be clear, this isn't for three-month-olds. We aren't doing puppy stuff, teaching doubles. A lot of people jump into doing multiple marks and send me you know, a message saying, my six-month-old puppy's doing triples. Easy. Pump the brakes, guys. Let's teach. You know, yeah. There's a lot of time yeah. for that. You know, Build first. All right, Kev's got another question. And, Barton, if you've got a question on your end that comes through the comments, feel free to interrupt me and be like, I got a good one. Let's go. I think mine are coming through with you guys. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We'll just keep going. With well, it. Bob can't see, but yeah. Barton's uh, busy man. I love it. This is a working man. Uh, so, uh, in first off, those listening uh, on Instagram, thank you for sending in questions. Please continue to do so. Um, <clears throat> we had a, a puppy question come in, and on our podcast, Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. If you haven't listened, check it out. This should go live tomorrow, but. Uh, where we talk a little bit about puppies and some of the chaos that's happened throughout this whole covid situation. Uh, but we had a good question. Barton, when are you having puppies? 
Yeah, so I've got a litter due anytime. Uh, Arden and Lottie, super excited. She's big as a house. She's up at my house in my sunroom. Um, my buddy Corey, who's here with me, cleaning up all this junk, uh, he recommended some really nice uh, Wi-Fi cameras, like security cameras, mm. and they've been fantastic, so I can keep an eye on her on my phone. Um, that's what my pups are due. Uh, SOK has seven locations. We have puppies at one, two, three, three of those, lo- four of those locations right now. Nice. And about to be five when I have pups. I haven't had puppies on the ground since my last litter left before all this coronavirus stuff got crazy. So in March. So I haven't had pups on the ground in a while. I'm super excited about it. I think that blows people's minds that we don't have puppies right now, but that's why we have multiple locations. I don't like a lot of pups at one place at one time. You know, I want them to be spread out. Yeah. So yeah, puppies on the way. Uh, anytime. Body girl. Her last litter was born a year ago today. No way. Which is mind blowing to me that their cycles are so when it does right, you know, it's so close. I mean, she's due any minute now. And I, and today someone sent me a picture and they're like one year old. And I was like, Holy cow. Like she's ready to blow any moment. You know, she's huge. And uh, it's crazy. Nature works that way. That is pretty crazy. So, um, yeah. Cool, man. Well, congrats. I hope that goes well. We did the whole security camera thing too. Uh, when we had puppies with my golden and, uh, it just made life so much easier and was cool and fun and, uh, made us, I didn't miss anything. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here's a good one. How do I get my pup to just turn around in water when I blow a whistle? Is there anything special you do, Barton? Yeah, I mean, we we do more than I think a lot of people give credit for British trainers. I mean, we've got a little pond. Heck, if I walk far enough, I could show you. we got a little pond we do uh, swim by in. You know, we go through whistle stops, and we make whistle stops really fun for puppies. You know, stop. If you look at me, I'm going to throw a tennis ball or a dummy. And then they learn that, hey, stopping on the whistle is cool because something fun happens. And then we transition that to a simple tea drill. And then we transition that to a water tea. And with dogs that are stubborn on it, we'll blow the whistle. And when they turn around, I'll have a dummy in my hand and I'm swinging it. And they're looking and, hey, hey, here it is. And I'll throw it, you know, get on or over for you guys or go back. Oh, I'll say back. Sorry, terminology is different. So I'll throw it and give them the cast. And then they learn, hey, when I turn around and look at, at him, Something great happens. That's the whole idea. It's associated whistle stop with something really fun. And uh, once we get through that, we, we do a little swim-by work with our pups. It's not as um, compulsion-oriented as some swim-bys, but we want them to learn to stop, tread water, look at us, go all the way across the pond to the other side, stop, and then come all the way back across. And, uh, yeah, it's really fun. We just work it, have patience. Water is honestly one of the easiest places to stop your dog because they're not going as fast. And if you can just get their attention somehow, you can convince them to look at you, swing a dummy, whatever it is, and then throw it for them. You know, the dogs that have a massive amount of drive and independence land is much harder. You know, it's like, oh, without an e-collar, it's like, oh, you want me to stop? No, I'm <laughs> I'm full on hunt right now. Good luck. So that's much diff- much more difficult for us. Uh, land tends to be a little bit easier or water tends to be a little bit easier for us. 
um, getting their attention and teaching them that whistle stops are a good thing. One of the things I don't like as a trainer is seeing a dog whose whistle stops look fearful. I don't want a dog that turns around and they're scared. Like, oh, God, if I don't stop, he's going to nuke me. I want a dog that turns around, looks at you like, what's next, boss? You know, you you tell me you're driving this ship. Well, now, we're, you know, the way you cued me up for this was a blind. You cued me up. You told me dead bird. You lined me up. You told me go back. It's not a mark. This is teamwork. This is an exercise. So you tell me where to go. I like a dog that, that, that it understands that, accepts that, and participates in that. So one of the things that I think, I don't know how to put this, but I find it, I find it easier because I'm adding another tool to the tool belt that you guys choose not to. So when you have that strong-willed dog that that is independent, has a nose of its own and a mind of its own, and you're really struggling to get a good, crisp set, whether it's in the water or on land, how are you – what are some th- thoughts that you may have to combating that? I mean, to get a – because I don't want a loopy set. I don't want a dog that slows down and keeps hunting, but they are turning towards you, and then they do sit, but their nose is going right. this way. Like, talk to me about the challenging ones. Like, because because there are some easy ones that, like, once they figure out to sit in the whistle and you get to cast them and they still get the reward. Yeah, it's the easy ones are the easy ones. But what about the hard ones? Oh, Kevin kicked the phone. Oh. Yeah. No, it's it's tough with the difficult ones. Trust me. Right. And, so, and what, are some, what are some the, things? We're we're not, you know, we're not anti e collar at all. And we have clients that are like, "Hey, I want my dog an e collar." All right, cool. Well, we'll we'll do that. Um, we had and we had like fifteen dogs out here when we started this conversation. Three of them were on the e collar for clients. So that's it's not like we're anti. Uh, we understand it's just a tool. Our biggest thing, like with Cornerstone, is you give that tool to the hands of somebody to understand it. It's a really quick way to ruin a dog, right? Like, oh, I lost my temper. I burned them up. Now they don't want to work at all. So that's the biggest thing for us. I enjoy training without it because it's a challenge. You know, I think it takes longer. Um, With those dogs who are difficult, the challenge is not to get them to succumb to a sit whistle without an e-collar. The challenge is to get them to understand that a whistle is a – a positive fun interaction so that's what i'm going all the way back to like puppy games yeah like hey you're out playing hey hey what's up what's up hey 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 hey. you're excited you're excited and then and then throw a tennis ball and it's like oh the whistle means cool stuff happens and when you can get that going then you can change the mentality of a dog as far as like taking a hard-headed dog and getting them to stop at 150 yards because they're scared of the whistle or scared of your, your no, you're not going to do it. You're just not going to win. You're not going to win that battle. Uh, you're going to have to have some way to reinforce it. I laugh all the time with my friends. I have a lot of friends that train with callers. They run with us. If you see me bounce around, I'm sorry. I got Maggie girls all over me right now. Uh, but I, I laugh all the time with my buddies, and I'm like, if only there was a way that I could correct them while they're out there. <laughs> you know, we – we get it, man. I get the point of it. It's a great tool to have. We're not anti, you know, or any of that. No, um, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to yeah. have a pro or con collar thing. I was sure. asking like a method, like it. I, I yeah, I definitely wasn't getting in a, a one or the other. I yeah, was no, more like just if you have that hard dog, that like, the whistle. 
Yeah, convincing a dog that the whistle means something cool is about to happen from your handler. You know, going all the way back. And it's much easier when you get to train that dog as a puppy, right? Yeah, 100%. It's much more difficult when you get that dog as a one-year-old and the dog's already made his mind up of how work is going to go. And then it's, it's a challenge. But when you get to raise a puppy and teach them, hey, the whistle's cool. The whistle means look at look at your guy and something cool's going to happen. Yes. And then you, you, get, you get some cool stuff out of it. Yeah, you're developing it before it's a real thing. Right, it becomes yeah. that in the I'm, long I'm teaching run. my little my little puppies. Right, sit to the whistle means you get to get this tennis ball. Absolutely. So that's a key for people who are the do it yourselfers at home. As you're developing this puppy, the whistle can be brought in early and often as a almost reward. So tweet you. Oh, you looked at yeah. me. Hey, hup, throw him a bumper. There's no cast. There's no nothing. What's, what's the association? Right. What is the whistle association? And with some dogs, that association is I'm about to get hit, right? I mean, you, you, you see it. I mean, I know you've been to tests and, and you've seen it. Sure. Hey, the whistle blows and the dog turns around like, oh, shoot. Sure. Like, That's it. I'm about to get nuked. And then you got dogs that turn around like, oh, heck, yeah. He's about to tell me where to go. Right. So, anyway. No, I'm down. All right, Kevin's got another one, big guy. I kind of like, as, an, as a mini aside here, gentlemen, I kind of like that you guys do things slightly differently. But I like that the core of this is it's a good-ass time having fun with your dog, going out hunting, and that's just there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know what I mean? And they're not that far apart. No, yeah. not at all. I just, I don't know. I, it's kind of cool. So um, there's that. But we had a few really good questions come in. Uh, Future Miss You says, for Bob, how do you deal with a with breaking an alpha dog when hunting with multiple dogs? Was what is it? How do you deal with breaking an alpha dog when hunting with multiple dogs? Okay. I mean, I read it as it is, but I, I know it's tripping up as. So how I'm interpreting that is how do I break a dog that's alpha when hunting with Breaking a dog meaning breaking his spirit because he's being a jerk to the other dogs, fighting other dogs for birds. Maybe she can write in. Um yeah, I know. Uh, did she write in? No, but I say she assumed that what she meant was how do I provide steadiness? Okay. All right. Let's yeah. Let's let's run with this as if it's a dog who is possessive, and every bird down is his, and therefore he's breaking, and to which question? <laughs> So <laughs> correct that he, so so I would yeah. say she thinks it's correct as in he's being a jerk to other dogs. I would say you probably need to hunt your dog alone. Uh and I know that that sucks. But I don't know Barton, run with me on this for a second. I think an unneutered male or an unspayed alpha female they're a dog and we can we can socialize them we can do everything we can teach we can show we can do one way or the other but if they have it in them that this is my duck and they'll fight another dog for it well like if they let, let's let me break this into two parts if the dog is fighting physically fighting another dog for a duck 
That's one scenario, and we'll tackle that in a second. The other scenario would be the dog is competitive and is breaking and chasing down a duck that the other dog's supposed to get. The one I just said is training. The other one, I think, is personality and very hard to fix. And if it were me, I'd probably just hunt it alone. Or you'd have a scenario where the two dogs are very much separated, like in a flooded timber situation. Or, you know, you've got a lot of control over who gets which duck. And you can tie the one dog, you can tie them up and hold them back whatever but if you've got a dog that fights other dogs literally will fight not just fight to win and go get the duck first but fight a dog for a bird that dog is a different scenario if you've got a dog that is competitive and breaks that's a steadiness drill that's honoring that's place work that's that's training that's going to group training sessions with other dogs that's that's different so, you know, for me, we can we can tackle the one where it's aggression, possessiveness and aggression. I think you need to just – that's it? No fighting? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can. So he's stealing yeah, – that's, that's, that's an obedience issue, That's honestly. an obedience issue. I mean, if you've got a dog that's stealing birds from other dogs, yeah, that's you've got obedience. an obedience issue. Right. Yeah. And you need to, you need to go – to multiple group training sessions with your HRC or AKC clubs nearby and have your dog pick up nothing. Right. You just learn that it's okay to be there and watch other dogs retrieve. Yeah. And, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth far more than a pound of cure. You know, at that point, just putting your dog on lead and preventing that is Mm -hmm. because if your dog goes out and grabs a duck from another dog, and brings it to you. It was successful. They've gotten the reward. They've been rewarded for that behavior. Absolutely. So preventing it is huge. Absolutely. Yeah, huge. So I would say it, we're done. That was great. Nailed it. <laughs> Barton, we got a good one here. Uh, Raven works knives. My dog has a serious hard mouth. Is it hopeless? I never hear any discussions on this regarding uh, training on different podcasts, plenty of training with hold conditioning, but if the duck is introduced, the dog is immediately possessive, and it's a, it's a hard mouth. How would you handle that? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, it's tough to know if, if the hard mouth is, is a training issue or if it's a genetic issue. You don't see a ton of it in genetics, but it can happen, and, and genetically speaking, it can be very hard to fix. If it's a training issue, then you're going to want to, again, my mentor used to always tell me 90% of retrieving problems are obedience problems. And I, I'm a hundred percent bought into that. And you know, a dog won't bring a duck back. Well, that's because the recall's not there. The recall's not where it needs to be. So take a part of a duck, a wing, put it on a dummy and work the dog with a wing on a dummy and get your recall super solid to where recall is a non-issue anymore. And now we're going to introduce a frozen duck that can't be chewed up because it's frozen. And we're going to get recall all the way solid with a frozen duck. Oh, and it now can get we're going to think up. about maybe doing 100% can get you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're right. Yeah, it can be chewed up, but <laughs> not to the point where it's just crushing a bird and Correct. getting guts out of it, you right. know. 
And, uh, you know, that's tough. And I've seen all sorts of crazy stuff on the internet about putting barbed wire on a bird and all that stuff. Don't worry about that. The I one did thing do that I have once. Seen that it wasn't barbed wire, but I did try. I was at my wit's end. So it was not barbed wire. It was humane. But it, I tried, uh, nah, I don't know what it was, but it was a wire mesh. So when he crunched, yeah. it wasn't as fun, but it wasn't barbed wire. But I, it was like the, I did yeah. everything I could. I reforce fetched this dog, and he was great until, for me, what I thought it was was anxiety because of pre, prior training. So to your point, Barton, comes back to obedience and like foundational work so anxiety he was nervous about what could happen excitement he was so he was high drive crazy wild ass so excited and then a a poor foundation those three things created what i think was this hard mouth that truthfully i didn't end up fixing it it was better but it wasn't fixed. and i did try it wasn't barbed wire but it was like that idea of yeah, the first dog that I dealt with that had a hard mouth was a Springer Spaniel, and I didn't use barbed wire. I used a plastic hard bristle brush, mm-hmm. and I taught the dog hole conditioning with a brush, and obviously clamping down on that was not fun. Right. And, you know, we got, a long, we got a long way with it, but I think his hard mouthness was a very natural genetic response to the anxiety of of just training and um he ended up being a family pet i think he ended up going to a guy in seattle that hunted geese and he was great because the geese were too big for him to chomp sure so but pigeons and like springers training you just you know and out comes Smash. the guts right um with labs you know i don't deal with a ton of that um i am a bit of a I like marker training. I mean, I see a lot of click and treat training when it comes to law enforcement, detection dogs, all that stuff. I think you can fix a lot of issues with that. Mm -hmm. You need to see someone who's a pro at animal behavior and figure out how do I fix this issue when it comes to marker training. And you can probably get past it, but that's going to take some work. You know, that's the same with dogs that, you know, every time a, a, a full-grown man runs in my house, they run up and bite him, or they freak out, you know? Like, that's marker training. That, yeah. that, that takes some, some actual animal behavior work that's beyond getting on YouTube and figuring out how to fix your dog yeah. sort of thing. Um, yeah. I think we so need to have a... can be genetic, and it can be trained in. Yeah, I think a lot... Uh, yeah, I'm with you. So maybe we'll do... Thank you for tuning in, whoever asked that question. I don't think we answered it. I think we just both agreed that it's a pain in the ass, and we both seen it. So I'm going to make a mental note, and, and we will tackle that next time or, or in a future episode uh, in, in depth because I think a lot of people struggle with it. We've got one more question, Barton, and yeah. then we'll wrap this sucker up. One more question and a comment. The comment was that uh, somebody made a request that you both grow back the, uh, the mustache only. Just, I'll do it tonight. Toss that out there, yeah, yeah buddy. Uh, and then we we had yeah. another one one last question here that I thought was really good. And then Barton, we'd like to chat for just another minute of your time uh, after going live. Uh, both of you have a li- slightly different look at 
what to do with a dog, but one theme that I've heard tonight over and over is like having a puppy from square one is just ideal. And so are there some major key things from seven or eight weeks or whenever you pick up the puppy to six months that you do that you think is extraordinarily key to laying the foundation for a phenomenal lifelong gun dog? What do you think? We can go Barton first, I guess. Here we go. Yeah. So I think when it comes to laying a foundation, I mean, there's a lot more you can do to ruin a dog in those first few months than to make one better per se. But for me, it's teaching a dog how to learn. That's the whole deal is I want a dog to figure out, okay, if I do certain behaviors, if I do certain things, this guy who feeds me will give me a reward, whether it's food, tennis ball, whatever it is. If I do certain things, I get rewarded. And then if I do certain things, I get punished. So I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do this. So the dog needs to learn structure and how to work for a reward. If you can, I mean, bring me a dog at six months old who's socialized, loves the water, and knows how to work for a reward. That, that is all I want. I don't, I don't care how far they've gone or what kind of retrieves you've done. I don't care about any of that. I want a dog who understands if I do this behavior, I get a reward. So working is good and teaching them how to learn just how, and free shaping is a big part of that for us. So yeah, I mean, in those first two, three, four months before adult teeth come in, teaching a dog how to learn, how to respond properly, what structure is, you know, if a dog, if a dog comes to me at six, seven months old and they've never been told no, they've never been punished for a bad behavior. I mean, you're dealing with the problem at that point. I mean, they're going to shut down. They don't, they don't understand. They don't understand how to learn. So from the positive side of it and the negative side of it, teach them how to learn, how to progress, how to work. It's super important. Limit the retrieves. You don't need you don't need to do twenty retrieves a day, two three a day, or two three a week. Doesn't matter. Just a couple of retrieves so they learn that bringing it back is a good thing. That's great. But teaching them how to learn, how to work for a reward, that's huge. We can do the rest. Couldn't agree more. I would parlay and add a little to positive introduction to water positive introduction to birds, positive introduction and building retrieve drive. And, you know, what I'd like you to take a 30-second approach and talk about um, shaping, shaping behaviors. And what what did you say, free-forming? I can't remember because I don't call it that. Free-shaping. So, Free-shaping, right. So there's, you know, we, we do a lot of click and treat with our pups. Uh, luring is when you take a treat and you move a dog with a treat. Mm-hmm. So – I take a treat, I put it above your head, and you sit. That's luring. I take a treat, I pull it at my side, and you heal, and I give it to you. That's luring. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing, but they're being successful doing it and getting a treat, and all of a sudden, habits are forming. Yeah. They're following following the treat, right? Right. right. Free shaping is I put a place board out there, and I just hold the treat next to my chest. And when the puppy puts one foot on a place board, good, or click, and I give you the treat. Right. 
And then all of a sudden that becomes two feet and then it becomes four feet and it becomes get up on it and sit. Right. But I'm not holding the, the treat above the place board. I'm just holding it right here. And the puppy's figuring out, I got to do something. I got, I got to do something to, to earn this. Right. And man, once they start doing that and learning like, Hey, if I'll just do something, he'll give me that. Then they start trying to figure out what that is. And man, you can go a long ways with the puppy with that, with, even with delivery. You know, and we fixed a lot of pups that they don't want to bring it back. They want to spit it out. They want to run around and play. They don't want to come back to you. We, I saw some questions. My pup wants to play keep away. We fixed a lot of pups that way with click and treat. Sure. Um, as as odd as it is, as odd as it seems, in the retriever world, it seems odd. In the law enforcement, search and rescue, cadaver dog, it's just normal. Right. Um, we fixed a lot of dogs with click and treat. Hey, if you'll bring it back to me and hold your head up and hold it in your mouth, I'll give you a treat. Right. And it doesn't take very long for them to figure out, okay, I'm coming back and I'm going to hold it up. And, yeah, it's, the, it's really, for even for you guys, it's the beginnings of force fetch, you know. Hey, yep. hold it. Just hold on to it. Bring it back to me. And you get a reward. I couldn't agree more, man. Yeah. I think that first zero to six months, you're building positive. You're building some repercussions yeah. to doing negatives. So you're teaching good behavior and bad behavior. You're building retrieve drive. You're teaching the puppy how to learn and having fun doing it. Socialization is key. Um, Barton, let's wrap this bad boy up, man. Thank you so much for joining us. I really liked this. We should do this again. Live shot for shot. Man, I'm down to do it again. I, cool. I had a blast. Listen. Cool. Last time I had this much fun with you, we were in Vegas. So we won't even say what happens there. Uh, oh, but, yeah, I had fun. My dogs are back here sitting cool. in their mow marsh, hanging out. And uh, Corey's over here. We just got done training, running a setup, and it was super fun talking with you guys, answering questions. I'm looking forward to doing it again. And, Absolutely. look, for all you guys out there, when you see me next on social media, I will have just the mustache. That is a promise. I'll all right. the rest of the dog. I'm going to have to shave now, too. <laughs> Damn, I like my beard. That's both of us. That's All a right. commitment. We my- made it. Hey, look, they say that the beard is uh, an accessory to the corona contagion. So, Safety mustache. First. Safety first. Mustaches. Yeah, safety first. All right, yeah. buddy. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like, do us a favor. Subscribe. Give us the old five-star review. Uh, follow Barton at Southern Oak Kennels on Instagram and at Lone Duck uh, on Instagram. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Until next time, appreciate your support. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link. Join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it. Enjoy it. We did it for you, and you're helping us produce this show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters
Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Birdshot Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Birdshot Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Birdshot Podcast today. Thank you.